there's a quote too that says, you know, you still have hope for the world when you plant a garden. You have a hope for tomorrow. A garden signifies a hope for tomorrow, right? Because you have to be there to see what comes up after you've planted it. Right. Okay, fine. I'll go water my plants. (laughs) You saw my garden yesterday. For tomorrow. (laughs) Your garden looks fantastic. My garden is like, oh, please (laughs) have hope for tomorrow. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 75. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about the Homemaker's Creed. A creed is defined as a set of beliefs or aims which guide someone's actions. If you're a Christian, you'll probably be familiar with the idea, thanks to the Apostles' Creed that lists what we believe in in the church. But how about a Homemaker's Creed? a set of beliefs or aims that guide one's actions for that critical task of making a home. For this, we turn to a familiar figure from history to launch the discussion. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help the Modern Lady stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Jamie, who left us a great rating and review on iTunes and said, quote, I love this podcast. It has helped me truly appreciate the value in making a home for my family. I started listening to it last year and have continuously found it to be a relatable source of inspiration and comfort. Thank you for continuing to record these episodes. I look forward to them every week, end quote. Thank you so much for your comment, Jamie, from all the way back in April. It does seem like forever ago, but we are so thrilled to have you along for the ride in our little podcast community. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Fellow Canadians, do you recall the very best part about going to Swiss Chalet for dinner when you were a kid? It was the little bowl of warm water with a slice of lemon floating in it that was brought to you when your meal was finished. Many were stumped by what to do with this little bowl of warm water. Some kids, and perhaps some adults, drank it. Some splashed it all around. But its actual purpose was to wash and disinfect your fingers, especially if you ate your rotisserie chicken with your hands. This custom of the finger bowl is ancient and international. The lemon isn't just there to look pretty or smell nice. There is apparently antibacterial properties in the lemon, and it also helps to remove oil from your fingertips. You don't need to squeeze the lemon into the water in order for it to be effective. Forks are a relatively new invention, and so most people ate with their hands for most of human history. In Roman times, there was a communal hand-washing bowl, and this probably was the case up until, realistically, almost the Victorian time. And Victorians, as we all know, loved dining etiquette and had countless instruments and cutlery for every possible food item imaginable. They really enjoyed having these individual finger bowls at every place setting despite the fact that by that point, everyone used forks. 
This finger bowl tradition held on for a long time, especially in England, Ireland, and in the American South. I must say, when I think back to our tip of the week last week about cloth napkins, I do see how washing your fingers and then drying clean fingers on a cloth napkin really could help save those cloth napkins because they do stain so easily. Now, one of the reasons that this practice died out is that during World War I, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration asked restaurants to do away with excess glassware, dinnerware, and silverware due to rationing of all kinds. So goodbye, finger bowls. I'm glad to have experienced you following my favorite Swiss chalet meal of chicken on a Kaiser dipped hunk by hunk into steaming bowls of chalet sauce. This concept isn't totally gone, though. Finger bowls have been replaced in some restaurants, especially in Japanese and Chinese restaurants, with those heated rolled cloths that you can open up and wash your hands. This is very interesting. I like that it originated in Victorian England, you said? Well, it originated in ancient Rome. But this idea of a little individual cute finger bowl um, placed at each place setting, that was a Victorian thing. Right. But how did it get to Swiss chalet? I'm not sure. So I am actually fascinated by the history of Swiss chalet. (laughs) I often talk about how much I wanted to work there as a little girl because back in the day, their uniforms were those pretty dirndls. And I always, I have great love for a dirndl. And so I I talk about old Swiss chalet more frequently, I think, than the average person. (laughs) So maybe I'll look a little bit more into their history such an international tip of the week. (laughs) Well, have you guessed yet? That familiar figure from history that's going to launch our discussion on a supposed homemaker's creed? Well, if you guessed Betty Crocker, then A, well done you, and B, you are correct. Now, Betty Crocker is still a huge household name here in North America, but in the 1920s, she actually really entered the scene with a bang, didn't she, Lindsay? She did. So in 1924, the voice of Betty Crocker was first heard in American homes on a radio show called The Betty Crocker Cooking School of the Air. Now, the thing is, Betty Crocker was never really a real woman, but rather she was a character created a few years earlier to help sell baking ingredients sold by the company that would later become General Mills in 1928. The name Betty was chosen due to its cheerful, all-American sound, and Crocker in honor of the company's director. Played by different voice and commercial actresses over the years, Betty Crocker became synonymous with the culture's perception of the American housewife. Resourceful, chipper, knowledgeable, and caring. Betty Crocker would pop up on TV variety shows like the George Burns and Gracie Allen show and share recipes and cooking tips. Betty Crocker even had her own short-lived show, and she was in the CBS Network's first ever color commercial. In her last incarnation, she was a computer composite of a woman, and now she has been replaced by just a red spoon with the words <laughs> Betty Crocker written on it. I was going to say. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Oh, the fall of the mighty. Okay. <laughs> so there is an image, right, Michelle, that circulated yeah. around the dark web. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. The, by dark web, I mean the other dark and shady place on the internet, the world of happy housewives. Oh. <laughs> oh. And this yeah. image written out is the house, uh, sorry, the homemaker's creed. And it is attributed to Betty Crocker. And you and I were like, ding, ding, we love this thing. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're here to talk about today. Yes. And I actually, I heard Betty Crocker, the 
the figure mm-hmm. uh, once described. She was this mixture of like June Cleaver, mm. Dear Abby, and Martha Stewart, like Love all it. rolled into one for the pe- for the women of that time. Now there there was a real woman behind Betty Crocker mm-hmm. and the company, and her name was Marjorie Houston. And while and I don't know if I'm saying her last name right, but we'll just go with it. And so sure. while she didn't create the brand, she was a champion of homemakers, and she said decades before we started saying this on the podcast, that homemakers aren't just women who stay home, that every woman should be encouraged to take pride in their homes as well as Mm. their jobs outside of the home, if that's what their calling is, and that these things aren't exclusive to one another. Marjorie was also quoted as saying, good housekeeping is an art and it's about time it was treated as such. And again, this is something that we have echoed in countless episodes here on the Modern Lady podcast. Now, in 1944, Marjorie Houston helped create something called the Betty Crocker Home Legion, and 70,000 women joined. So it is believed that these women were given this creed when they joined the Legion. Yeah, and we you sent me a copy of the this Legion creed, mm-hmm. and I loved I loved everything about the points, but I also loved that at the very end, there's a space to sign your name, mm-hmm. like in an honest-to-goodness pledge, and that women would have signed it. Yeah. Also something that we say very often, but what is mirrored in these points is that, you know, cleaning your house, that type of thing is definitely a part of homemaking. Right. Um, But that's not what the whole ideal of homemaking is. And so I think these points are, are really going to give a lot of us food for thought because they're they are ideals and they'll each take on different forms depending on the person and their personality and their stages of life, but they're all relevant. Absolutely. And I feel like I want to print it out and sign my name and stick it in a kitchen cupboard. Will you join me in that, Michelle? Yes, I will. Oh my gosh. What cupboard? Maybe the flower cupboard. Ooh, the, the baking cupboard. <laughs> the General yes. Mills cupboard. <laughs> the one in which we have the Betty Crocker pre-made cake mixes. The box mix. <laughs> yeah, That's the right. box mix. Because we might not always make cake from scratch. So we're so thankful mm-hmm. that we have a Betty Crocker cupboard. <laughs> yes. Ever grateful. Uh, so yeah. So let's just go right into the points. The first one is, uh, and they all be, begin with, I believe, which mm-hmm. is so cute. Mm-hmm. So I believe homemaking is a noble and challenging career. Go. Well, noble is defined as having or showing fine personal qualities or high moral principles and ideals. So you know what? <laughs> I, I wanted actually us to do an entire episode on the word noble. Because it's one of those words that you've mentioned a few times in past episodes. And every time you say that one word, it, it, it stops me in my tracks. And I think this is just something, this is a characteristic or a virtue that we just have completely forgotten about right now. So first of all, mm-hmm. I love the word noble in and of itself. Yes. And then when we look at the words challenging career, we have, again, addressed this in the podcast before. I can't think of one person that wouldn't find actual homemaking done well to not be a massive challenge physically and intellectually. And this is in contrast to how homemaking has been portrayed in the media and even just passed down um, in our own language to each other, right? Generation to generation. But Mm -hmm. I challenge someone, any of you, to put in a full work week of of cleaning your house the proper way, really, you know, setting the bar high and uh, and see how much dedication, knowledge and strength that takes. Oh, yeah. And that is just one aspect of the homemaking. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like if you were just simply to do that, that would that would certainly be challenging enough. 
And, you know, everyone talks about challenging yourself these days. It's like a a catchphrase, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I like this point because it directs the challenge towards something that is really good, like this this noble higher character, Mm -hmm. right? And also the fact that it's set at home. So often the challenge that people are supposed to seek is, you know, quote, out there or in the world. Um, But we like to talk often about starting within ourselves first and starting at home and that there is plenty of things here to occupy that part of our brain that needs that challenging and constantly upping ourselves. We don't necessarily have to go outside the home. G.K. Chesterton talks about wild domesticity. Do you remember that? No, but I love those words. Oh, Chesterton. So we should do a whole episode on wild domesticity. This is in his book, um, What's Wrong with the World? Mm -hmm. And, you know, essentially it boils down to the sense that a man is freest at home. Mm -hmm. You know, out there in the world, that's where all the rules and stipulations and policies are imposed by others onto you. Um, But you can do more and better work on yourself at home because of this wild freeness of domesticity. And I really think that that really um, goes hand in hand with this first point of the creed. I think it's really interesting that the word career is here, too, because we have always been told that um, homemaking or being a housewife was like forced upon women throughout history, that they had no other options. And while in some cases, that certainly was true. A simple study of history will reveal that women have, have always worked in some jobs that generated income for the family, um, jobs that were mm-hmm. physically outside of the home sometimes, that that basically it's not as cut and dry or as black and white as we've always believed this whole housewife thing to be. So I think it's really interesting if this was indeed written in the early 1940s that they would use the word career. And one thing that we have definitely seen, and there is a trend that is undeniable, that women are actually choosing homemaking as an actual career now. These are women that have been educated, Mm. women that have had careers outside of the home. We have never shied away from talking about the fact that this is a luxury, especially in, you know, many of our big cities where they've been set up to need two incomes. So Mm -hmm. that's a whole other topic here. I just find that it's really interesting that this would use that word career and that we are seeing a lot of women who are opting to make this their life's choice, right? Their own Mm -hmm. career where they want to then in effect, like an outside, I don't want to say real career, but in a career outside of the home, do the best job they can and increasingly learn more skills and reach the highest point in that job. Mm -hmm. You're right. Okay. So next on the list is I believe homemaking is an art requiring many different skills. So do you remember when we talked about carpet lines (laughs) a couple Mm -hmm. episodes ago? Yes. Oh yeah. (laughs) And we talked about how that was an actual skill that was taught to women. Now it was taught to them, I believe at that time by the Hoover company who produced materials and their door-to-door vacuum salesmen, um, the stereotypical (laughs) vacuum salesmen of the 1950s. But they, uh, they would teach women how to do different types of vacuum lines on their floors and that each of these different styles Mm. had a name. And we talked then in that episode about skills and how we really believe and what they believed back then as they were instituting home economics classes, that when you have to perform a task, you have mm-hmm. to learn how to do a task. And when you there, when you then have to learn how to do a task, it becomes a skilled task, right? Like, mm-hmm. and then when that happens, your brain automatically thinks what I'm doing 
is of some level of importance because I've had to learn how to do it. And this really helped women believe at that time that their work was important. And I think we've lost that today because, Mm. you know, I think so many of our machines and appliances have become so user-friendly and are doing so much of the work for us. It can be easy, let's say, to to clean a house and get your job done away, but not to the level that you and I strive to do in our own homes. And so even when it comes down to cooking from scratch or getting a stain out, I mean, we we can turn quickly to Google now, which they couldn't Mm -hmm. do before. But I think we've undermined just how much skill it still takes to run a household well. Oh, definitely. And like, I mean, I have a standard that I would like to reach for myself, Mm -hmm. but I'm not close to being there yet. It's like this constant achieving of different skills, newer skills. And then um, if you really are intent on it, like seeking mastery. Yes. Seeking mastery. Yes. Right. And this is where I find that word art comes in. Mm -hmm. So like homemaking as an art, it's, it's more than just that it requires like heart and intention. So you can tell, and actually I'll use the example of British actors Mm -hmm. um, for this. Did you know that first of all, there's only like 20 British actors and they're all (laughs) in everything together? Okay. Um, (laughs) But you can almost tell like the British actors are just a different caliber than almost every other actor or actress you can see today, even in Hollywood. Because I think it just, it's still a craft to them. Mm -hmm. It's still a real art and they're never satisfied with where they are. They always seem to be taking breaks to go back to the stage for a year Mm -hmm. or something like that, right? And they just exude this dedication that is noticeably lacking sometimes in other areas um, of the world where actors are from. And I really feel like that's true for the homemaker too. Like you can often tell when you step into a house that is like clearly an ongoing work of art Mm -hmm. and heart of the homemaker there, um, there is just this je ne sais quoi about it, you know? And yeah, I, I just love that reclaiming it as a disciplined art. And It doesn't matter. Again, like it's not about the type of furniture you have or how well decorated your house is or how rich it is or how small it is. You're right. The je ne sais quoi isn't dependent on any of those things. Mm -hmm. It is, you can tell the effort of the homemaker in all of the details. And again, just when we start to brush off those details here in 2020, right, we're so progressive, um, rolling my Mm -hmm. eyes, um, (laughs) that whenever we think, oh, it's just, you're just a homemaker, you just clean your house. I, every time I attempt to teach my older children any of those skills, right? Any of the homemaker skills, trying to teach them how to bake, how to clean a bathtub, how to do any of those things, every little step of how to hand wash a floor and getting the edges and the baseboards and all those things. As soon as you go to teach it to somebody else, you you can't help but step back and go, this is complicated. It's only that we're just so Mm -hmm. used to doing them. We're just in such the habit of it. But when we go to pass it on to the next generation, I think that we should step back and realize just how much work it does and skill is take how many times do you have to call your mother, right? And ask her how to do something. Oh, yes. I'm 40 and I still (laughs) call my mother and do that all the time. (laughs) So it is absolutely a skill um, that is tied into being an art form. Mm Mm-hmm. And so going along with that, the third point of the creed says, I believe homemaking requires the best of my efforts, my abilities, and my thinking. 
And, you know, when I read this, once again, the temptation for me is always to be more out there, mm-hmm. right? That the thinking that I'm somehow wasted at home, that my gifts and talents would be so much more beneficial out there in the world. Right. <laughs> And this point really just reminds me anyways, that my home and the people within it anyways, have first dibs mm-hmm. on my absolute best. Oh, I love and that. Yeah. Whatever, yeah and whatever dibs. is left can be given to the exterior enterprises or opportunities. And there will be some of that, but you know, often I'm just tempted to see it from the other way around. Oh, I love that. Um, I broke, you know, efforts, abilities, and thinking down into three different things. So what you're saying really ties into my last one about thinking that um, oh, we need yes. to really separate what we've been taught about homemaking um, by the media in our education, by the generations of women in our family, by even our, our current peer group, you know, whatever stage we're in in our life, by our religion mm-hmm. even. We just need to separate our own thinking from those things, from what we really believe believe homemaking is. And then we can then determine what our level of our personal best is. Now to jump back Mm -hmm. to effort. um, I really looked at that and I thought, you know, effort is an act of the will and it's subjective to many things. And this is again, where we're going to come in here and say, Hey, if you're listening and you're pregnant (laughs) or postpartum (laughs) or you're, it's your first year homeschooling this year, like everyone, um, (laughs) you know, the effort is really going to change based on your situation and life. sometimes. subjective concept <laughs> yes. right yeah and and that's okay too and then abilities which is the next part of this of this one again our abilities can be learned and perfected mastery i love that word michelle um mm-hmm. but therein lies the crux of all of that again is the is how you do you yourself and homemaking and that's the thinking part again right just to sum it up with mm. you're in control of what's going on in your brain about homemaking and what you're capable of doing and what you think your family deserves that's all in your head so you've got mm-hmm. to own that right and so you are 100% in control of the thinking part of this and that often like the best of all these things your efforts abilities and your thinking can even just be the willingness to persevere mm-hmm. to the end of each day, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, And often I am surprised when I have the presence of mind to recognize that I'm not in it, into it today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and say so like, well, you know what? It still requires the best of my efforts. And that might just be persevering mm-hmm. <laughs> to the end of the day. I will get to the end of that day. And on those rare occasions that I was able to persevere, I'm like, wow, you know what, that I actually got a lot more done, um, you know, or I wasn't as crabby as I was predicting yeah. I was going to be like that type of thing. And so, you know, when we said like the best of my efforts is can be subjective of a concept mm-hmm. for phases of life, for sure. But even on a day to day basis, I think it's just important that you recognize what is your best that day and then decide it in the morning and then try your best to stick with it yeah just to the end of the 12 hour period i was going <laughs> to say you're right you. like you mm-hmm. our days especially days when you're so busy with young children at home it changes minute by minute right and so mm-hmm. until you mm-hmm. lay your head down on that pillow that night you have every chance to change how the day is going in your home. So whether you're making pizza pockets in a microwave for lunch, which is the lunch for my kids today, um, that the actual pizza pockets don't determine the feeling of home that they're not combined, mm-hmm. like they're not dependent on each other. And so, and the same thing can go for the entire day. So it can be 
whatever type of day, but it really depends on how you tuck those kids into bed at night, how you speak to your husband in the evening. You can, you know, we just have so much more control over it right until our head hits the pillow at the end of the night than we think we do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, wow. You are just killing it on the segues here because (laughs) (laughs) the the next point in the creed is I believe that home reflects the spirit of the homemaker. Mm. And that's exactly what you're saying, right? The heart of the home. We've talked about it so many times. Mm -hmm. And I, I know I'll probably relate this every single time this topic comes up, but Michelle, you'll recall that one day when I was losing it about (laughs) drowning in all of my responsibilities Mm. and, and my, my husband thought he was being so loving and supportive when he's like, but don't you get it? You're the heart of the home. Your mood Mm -hmm. shapes all of our moods. And then I shot back, just add that to my responsibilities. eh? my mood (laughs) has to impact (laughs) all our moods, but he's like, you're not getting it. it. What we mean is that when the heart is happy, we'll all be happy. So I want to support you to make you be happy. Like, what do you need? And it's just this amazing responsibility and blessing that we are the heart of the home. Michelle, you know, the saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Yes. Okay. Did you know it comes from a poem? Because I didn't until 10 minutes ago. Okay. Okay. I have to read you the opening stanza of this poem. So it was written in the mid 1800s by William Ross Wallace. And he says, blessings on the hand of women, angels guard its strength and grace in the palace, cottage, hovel. Oh, no matter where the place would that never storms assailed it rainbows ever gently curled for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And wow. tears. Um, but it, just mm-hmm. like we were saying before, in the palace, cottage, or hovel, a hovel is a little hut, right? Usually like a mud walled, mm-hmm. thatch roofed hut. It doesn't matter. And obviously, that poem is about motherhood specifically. But you and I happen to believe this crazy idea that women were made to mother, to nest, to nurture, to create, to comfort, to nurse. So we happen to believe mm-hmm. that even when there's no cradle to rock, that these gifts, that these are a spiritual motherhood is the term that we use. But this is the very spirit of the homemaker. Wow. And I really love that because if we all really took that to heart, mm-hmm. it would almost be like this team, yeah. like teamwork. We all have a hand in the direction of our world. So the next point is, I believe that home should be a place of peace, joy, and contentment. And I mean... Who doesn't want that? Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And I think that, so again, this can be separated from, we acknowledge on one hand that we are the heart of the home and that our behavior and thoughts and, and the way we conduct ourselves is um, really a critical piece of the peace, joy, and contentment in a home. But you can still separate it and say that I still believe, regardless of what I'm feeling that day, that a home should be a place of peace, <laughs> yes. joy, and contentment, right? I read on Facebook recently um, so that somebody had pointed out the contrast between how we show kids the idea of, quote, a home in their childhood books, TV shows, movies, and then mm. try as we might, uh, becoming more modern and again, progressive. We just can't shake the fairy tale idea of the home, the cozy cottage, family sitting by the fire, flowers on the table, curtains blowing in the wind. We all desire this, but it's really 
I found that that really stopped me in my tracks when I thought about how we show kids what a house or home, sorry, what a home is, because a home is different than a house, a home is, mm-hmm. and the very stories we read to them. And then what a lot of kids sadly are experiencing. And there's a huge disconnect there. And it, I think it's a wounding disconnect mm-hmm. that really can leave permanent and generational scars on our children. You're right. Because if you think about it, it kind of goes deeper than just the those surface images, mm-hmm. right? And we've all pictured those things in our heads. And perhaps if you're like me, tried to emulate them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I put a fan here, will my drapes <laughs> look like they're blowing gently in the wind? Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of January. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but that's exactly my point, though. It's like these are the, the visuals of what home life is. But what actually brought those things about right that is what homemaking is right so maybe those drapes blowing in the gentle breeze the window was open to cool down dinner right that's right (laughs) right um while mom's calling you in and it's hearing her voice and coming in with everybody to sit at the table that is the the intention associated with the image you're so right and i think that what we need to acknowledge and admit again is that the these qualities, peace, joy, and contentment, all of them can be cultivated. We don't just feel them, right? We're not just like, mm. and today it's peaceful. Oop, I'm joyful today. Like that's a bonus right. when that happens. Um, we actually have mm-hmm. to decide. They're, they're verbs almost. And we have to decide that that's what the feeling is going to be in our home and we can cultivate it and work at it. But we're, it's not just a given. It's not just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, these things actually have to be worked towards and a decision has to be made that your home, regardless of what's going on around outside of it, is going to be a home that is filled with peace and joy and contentment. And you can, when those things have been practiced and lived out over and over again, believe me on this, they can become so deeply rooted that you're still feeling those things, even, you know, during some pretty bad seasons in your life. And so those are goals that we should all work towards, but they're definitely things that have to be nourished and cultivated within the home. Right. And within your own spirit too, right? Yeah. Like I'm just looking at them now and those are hallmarks of an interior life mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, I mean, they go hand in hand. Everything is connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, this next point I really, really love. It is that I believe no task is too humble that contributes to the cleanliness, the order, the health, the well-being of the household. And this made me think of our our favorite Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, <laughs> when he was on the, <laughs> let's just bring him back on here too, yes, yes. Uh, when he was on the Candace Owens show and he was telling the story about how his first job in the Navy SEALs after all of that, uh, you know, elite training mm-hmm. was to clean toilets. Yep. <laughs> But that he made the decision to do it well and with a good attitude and that he was quickly noticed for those efforts exactly. And this point of the Homemaker's Creed just really brought me back to that quote and the idea that it's like everything needs to be done. Why not you? And let's do it to the very, very best of our abilities. Yes, I love that. And in the same vein, but in a totally different way, we can reflect back to all of the images we've ever seen of monks and nuns in their habits, hand washing a stone Mm. floor, right? And I was looking that up. And then I actually 
realized that this is very common in a lot of different religious communities. So um, it's a very, very prominent thing in Buddhist monastic tradition as well. And they have this old mantra where they say, chop wood, get water chop wood. Mm. Yeah, it was just really simple. And they said it could simply also be mop floors, wash dishes, that it's grounded. Its simplicity is grounded in its very earthiness is what they said in, in the very humble mm. action where you're really rooted to the earth in these very simple jobs that often are dirty, right? Nobody wants to do them. Mm-hmm. But these humble tasks within them, they have such opportunities for grace. There are so many gifts hidden just to have chance to pray, right? As you're meditatively Mm -hmm. washing the floors, um, you can practice just being silent or you and I often then turn to a podcast. It's these little gifts that not only, uh, or these little jobs that are not only a gift to our family because they have to get done and nobody wants to Mm -hmm. do them, but they're also framed in the right context can be a little gift for ourselves during the day. So I really love doing a lot of those tasks. Um, I yeah. also think it's really funny reading about the health and well-being of the household. Everybody who might have scoffed at this point before and been like, whatever, I've never <laughs> seen so many people during COVID <laughs> become That's so true. believers in this one part of the creed themselves, right? Suddenly, when everybody's health is on the line and a pandemic is sweeping through, we understand how important it is that these little tasks are, can become life and death. Now, thankfully, again, where we live, it hasn't been that serious, but that's not the case with everywhere mm-hmm. else. And so mm-hmm. the very act of disinfecting things, of leaving groceries in the garage until they, you know, germs have died. Um, we see that this isn't just a mindless mumbling of, oh, make sure you keep your house clean and tidy. No, no, no. Like these tasks at certain times are critical. And so mm-hmm. everybody seems to be on board with that one right now. Yeah, that is true. That's a good point. (laughs) And I have never used um, things like flaxseed or um, what's the elderberry Uh syrup. I always kept meaning to try elderberry syrup, but you best believe that I've been trying elderberry syrup this year. Oh, well, that's been also on my list. So maybe you'll have to share with me a little bit of elderberry syrup. I'm I'm like, do we make this? Is this our next get together? Uh, Okay. We're not quite there yet. All right. No. But that's perfect because you would expect like a very serious diehard homemaker, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course, I grow my own elderberries and then make my own syrup. But no, sometimes (laughs) it's store-bought and that is fine. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So um, moving on to the list, the next point is that I believe a homemaker must be true to the highest ideals of love, loyalty, service, and religion. While you're speaking my love language here, because acts of service, (laughs) boom, that is my love language. Um, Okay. Jason reminded me as we were talking about this the other day, he's like, I just wish you were more cuddly because I just cuddle you like crazy. And I'm like, but I give you the acts of service. (laughs) He's like, but that's not what I need. And I'm like, but that's who I am. So um, I really (laughs) love this. And (laughs) so... That was the best. I, I was told years ago when my when I was still, you know, breastfeeding around the clock and changing diapers and doing all those things. And then as at the same time, my, my faith was deepening and I was learning a bit more about the church. And I had learned about the seven acts of corporal mercy, which are, and again, mm. we've talked we've talked about these many times, but it's um to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to give shelters to travelers, to visit the sick, to visit the imprisoned, and to bury the dead. Um, I was told mm-hmm. that 
mothers in a certain stage of their lives, they're actually doing almost all of these, except for, you know, the imprisoned mm-hmm. and the dead, although we visit the grounded kids. So <laughs> up in their bedrooms. Um, but that yeah. this, that this, this is what our religion teaches us about serving each other. So again, I was an atheist before I've been really open about that. So I would have rolled my eyes so hard at the word religion being on here, but now Mm. understanding what my faith tells me to do to take care of the, of people. And this is what it commands us to do. I can't roll my eyes at that. These are beautiful Mm -hmm. commands about, um, and these are the highest ideals of love and loyalty service that my religion has taught me. Mm-hmm. It's basically concern with the procuring of the good for the other, yeah. right? Which we've defined yeah. that is love <laughs> in the yeah. past, right? So homemaking is love in action just within your home. And it's kind of neat to see how this context of homemaking, like love takes on such a tangible element. Yeah. You know, you're able to express this concern for the good of the other through so many material ways that mirror your true intentions and care you know that you have within but they just come out in so many different forms like through food through company through teaching yeah just an eye for comfort and detail like all these are manifestations in a physical way of what's happening inside of you yeah and we often talk about the domestic church and we might do an entire episode on what that really means but this um this is something that just because we can't serve in other ministerial positions. Um, and we're limited to that. I read once that we can approach like our kitchen counter physically, like an altar, that that's where we're offering our sacrifice, where we are pouring out our love for our families. Mm. And there is that famous among Catholic homemakers (laughs) quote by St. Teresa of Avila that says, know that even when you are in the kitchen, our Lord moves amidst the pots and pans. And Mm. I just, really, that was groundbreaking for me when I first read that a couple of years ago, because I am always like, how can I constantly show my love when I'm exhausted? And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to sometimes always feel love. And so that when we are demonstrating these, this action of love, like what you're saying, these acts of service for our family, This is what we have been called to do as Christians. So it is the highest ideal of that love that we have been asked in the willing the good of the other. As you mentioned, the famous St. Thomas Aquinas quote that we quote every second episode. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And as long as we're quoting saints here, Mm. there's another really great one from St. Francis of Rome Mm -hmm. that says that sometimes she must leave God at the altar and find him in her housekeeping. Mm -hmm. I love her. Um, She's a great saint. Yes. And by the way, I have both of those quotes from St. Teresa of Avila and St. Francis of Rome in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. That's how often I need that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In two different places. And as long as we're quoting saints, I'll just quote um, Jesus. So he said... Gosh, you gotta always have the last word. Okay. (laughs) Um, Matthew 25, 40. We know this. It says, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's what I tell my kids every single time Mm. when they have to do something and they're whining because nobody else had to pick up the other kid's toothbrush or make their beds. I'm like, this is what he's commanded of, of all of us. So that is where it's truly 
appealing to the highest ideal of love is taking care of the lowest people that we would consider lowest in our society and doing so, um, you know, out of a place of loyalty to Christ. Mm -hmm. And the last quote of the Homemaker's Creed is, I believe home must be an influence of good in the neighborhood, the community, and the country. So basically, that's kind of wrapping up everything we've been saying this past episode, right? Is that um, this whole idea of the interior life of the home and the family, right? Not being exclusive to just the people that live within that particular home and that particular house that, and you said this last week too, that if you work on yourself, then your family, and then your family goes out as a unit Mm -hmm. into the community and the country. I love that. And I think that that perfectly sums up what this final point of the creed is trying to say is that if you are dedicated to making a home and for that home to benefit all the members within it, then it will naturally exude out into the society and into your communities almost as a second nature. It sure will. And we've talked before too that let's say you are listening to us and you're like, well, I'm not married and I don't have kids. It's still your home and everybody that you welcome across across that threshold, mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to impact by the way that the feeling in your home, the way that you serve them and take care of them while they're in your home. And the best compliment that I receive is always that text or that phone call I get after somebody leaves my home saying, oh, I just loved being in your home. It felt so warm and comforting Mm -hmm. and had such a nice visit. They don't say, hey, I love that new kitchen or, you know, any of like the specifics of the house. It's always, I love how your home feels. And that doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter whether you have young kids at home or you're retired or you're a senior citizen or you're single and you're in your first apartment. It's still that feeling of the home and how you make people feel when they're in it. time for our what we're loving this week segment of the show so Lindsay, what have you been loving this week i didn't realize until right now how what i've been how the thing i loved um is a reflection of homemaking in a very unique way so have you ever seen the movie rear window from 1954 the hitchcock film no i haven't you haven't okay well no, no. okay okay <laughs> um it's a favorite of mine i've watched it many times and my kids love this movie they've seen it a few times too so 1954 hitchcock starring jimmy stewart and grace kelly the beautifully Mm. stunning, unbelievably stunning Grace Kelly in this film, particularly. Um, And I won't ruin it, but mainly the the whole story is very simple. He has a broken leg. He can't leave his apartment. He's usually um, a wildlife photographer who's just traveling around the world, but he's stuck in his apartment. So he's looking out his windows and he's watching what's going on in other people's apartments, looking into their homes. And you're getting a snapshot of domestic life for good and for bad. And he thinks he sees mm. a murder. And what can he do about that with his broken leg? Because he's not quite sure that what he saw is what the truth was. And that's the premise of the movie. It wow. would be excellent as a stage show because you don't need any other sets. It's just one set. And it's so, so good. I love it. My, As I've said, I, I'm really keen on my kids watching some Hitchcock films, maybe not Psycho, um, but I just, they love them too. They're just the perfect for a family film. As we said with Murder, She Wrote, it's like family friendly murder shows. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like Hitchcock can do that for kids too. And yes. again, by kids, I mean 13 and 11, almost 12 sure. and 14. Um, but anyways, that's, we loved it. Rear window, Michelle, please watch it this weekend. Okay. All right. No, this is good. It's been a while since we mentioned murder mm-hmm. on the podcast, <laughs> right? Which is unusual and odd. So yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're back. Yeah. So what have you been loving this week? So I watched the movie Brooklyn oh, uh, yes. last week. Have you? Do you remember seeing that? I've never watched that... it, but it's been on my list for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's already quite like several years old. Mm-hmm. It was 2015, right? Yeah. And it stars Saoirse Ronan, mm-hmm. who I think I may just end up loving everything she's in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. anytime I see her name, I think, oh, this will be good. Yeah. Um, she was in Little Women. Um, the and sorry, rendition. when you see her name, and people should know, when you see it, you're like, I'm sorry, what is that name? Oh, yeah. Just so people know who you're actually referring to because you pronounced it perfectly. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the movie takes place in the 1950s and tells the story of a young girl who's immigrating from Ireland to America. Like she's young, like 17, I think. Um, she's going totally alone. Her sister has arranged this with a priest friend of the family's uh, who is located in Brooklyn. And she did this to give her sister more opportunities in life. Uh, so I loved the whole story. I thought it was really beautiful to watch. The scenes and the costumes are so good. But the best part of the movie, it has to be Saoirse Ronan herself as an actress. Because what struck me was how little she actually speaks in this movie. But the camera lingers so often and so long on her face. And you just get such a range of emotion. Um, So she doesn't even really need to speak. You just know what she's feeling in any any given circumstance. And as a young girl immigrating alone, there's, there's a lot of emotion to be had. So I found that really neat. And also, too, if you're a lover of good accents the way I am, this movie definitely delivers on that score, too. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.